John Deere announces the new lineup of high horsepower four track tractors including an 803 horsepower option. There's three new models introduced, the 9RX 710, the 9RX 770, and the 9RX 830. It's autonomy ready. The new John Deere 18 engine eliminates the need for diesel exhaust fluid and offers an optional 168 gallon per minute triple pump hydraulic system. Command View 4 Plus Cab receives updates for increased operator comfort and visibility. Advanced technology package includes G5 Plus command center, display, and integrated Starfire 7500 receiver. The high horsepower 9RX models available for order in mid-March. For more information, go to JohnDeere.com or contact your local John Deere dealer. Hey everyone, as we dive into another Farm for Profit podcast, I want to take a second to think about why it is that we as listeners like this podcast so much. And I think it really goes back to the dialogue, the stories, the camaraderie, and perhaps most importantly, the advice and ways of thinking that bring value back to our business as farmers. You know, I, I farm in Illinois and consult with operations all over the United States and Canada. And so many of the people that we work with listen to this podcast and understand the message of farming for profit. The profit manager, that's our only goal to help you make better business decisions, make you more profitable and help you enjoy what you do even more. The guys on here say it all the time, you know, if you don't farm for profit, you won't be farming for long. That's why I want you to go check out farmprofitmanager.com. You're here for so much more than helping you just find your true cost of production. We want to help you with knowing your equipment costs, understanding your return to management, and feeling confident in your marketing and daily farm decisions. So do yourself a favor, go check out farmprofitmanager.com. Shoot me an email. We can schedule a 45-minute Zoom call to see if it's a right fit for your operation. No pressure, no sales pitch. I don't want to sell you something that you don't need. Let's just see if our team can help your farm business in 2023. When we link in, mention this podcast, and if you choose to move forward with Profit Manager, we'll offer you 5% off. This is Shay Folk with Profit Manager. Go check out farmprofitmanager.com and enjoy today's show. Fill it in on, on some government forms. Submit that off to various levels of the government. Um, first, the state level, then federal level to, to get authorization to hire these workers. Uh, then once they receive that authorization, uh, we submit a petition for a visa at the USCIS, which, uh, which then causes the, the visa to be sent to uh, the consulate in that country. Uh, the worker can then go and get that visa and fly over here. Ladies and gentlemen, farmers, ranchers, and distinguished guests, thank you for listening to the Farm for Profit podcast, where we discuss the latest ideas, methods, trends, and techniques available to help your farm achieve higher levels of farm profitability. The Farm for Profit podcast is co-hosted by Tanner Winterhoff, the Iowa Bankerman, and David Whitaker, the Iowa Land Guy, where in tandem they will share their ideas and advice from industry experts. Thank you again for listening to the Farm for Profit podcast. Remember, if you aren't farming for profit, you won't be farming for long. And now, here's Tanner and David. Well, listeners, welcome back to the Farm for Profit podcast. Tanner Winterhoff, David Whitaker, going to hang out with you today to bring you a great episode. It's one of the ideas that you brought to us. So keep sending those to farmforprofitllc at gmail.com or hit us up all over social media. TikTok's blowing up and that's all because of the listeners. Dave. And we greatly appreciate appreciate you as listeners and helping us grow our audience. And, um, you know, one of it is by giving us topics. This one's been a topic that has been uh, come to us a bunch of times. And uh, that topic for the day is labor and labor is getting harder to find, Tanner. It uh, is. Could you use the H two A program? And is it a solution? 
Well, before today, we didn't even know what it was. I mean, we, we had an idea that it did came and helped with labor, but we didn't know how to get to it. So we just got done having this conversation and wanted to put a little bit of a, a, a preamble ahead of this. So you're going to want to listen, listeners. I think some of the biggest takeaways, Dave, is they can understand how to do it, who to contact to get their questions answered, and then ultimately what benefits they can get out of this. We also want to thank uh, our hosts – or. We also want to thank our sponsors because just like the ads that you hear, that's how we can power this forward. And Legacy Farmer is still leaving a legacy on this podcast. Let's listen to one more of their clips today. Jace Young here from Legacy Farmer bringing you another legacy principle for today titled, Don't Complain About What You Allow. Every single member that has come into Legacy Farmer over the years has come in because they are facing certain problems. These problems can be finances and knowing their numbers, banking and tax planning, working with family in the negative environment they live in on a daily basis, or working to build an operation based on the sole promise that one day you will get to take these assets over. They come into Legacy Farmer wanting us to help them with that, and we are happy to do that. But here's the thing, though. We lead our members down the path of solving their problems and show them exactly what needs to happen to solve those problems. We do not solve their problems for them. And you might be wondering why. First, the truth is that every problem you have in your life right now is because you allow it to be there. And the longer you allow it to be there, the more painful your life will become. And second, the more we try to solve your problems for you, the more we rob you of your own personal and business growth. So at the end of the day, if you're stuck in your life as a victim currently, whether that's in your business or personal life, the first step to solving that problem is to own up to the fact that you've allowed that problem to be there. Then simply remove your emotions about how you feel about the problem and ask yourself, what is the next right thing I can do to solve this problem and stop allowing this in my life? If you can commit to that, your life will begin to change very, very quickly. Did that clip bring you value? Man, every time Jace gets it, I tell you. Uh, text us and tell us what you think at 515-207-9640. Before we get into the conversation introduce our guest today, let's pause one more time for a message from our sponsor and we'll get to it. The fact that farmers spend 20% of their day searching for information means that AgVisor Pro is here to connect the farming decision makers in ag to the advice, professionals, and services that they need to move forward with confidence. Get a fast answer on tough questions, request a consultation from ag specialists, or discover a service that can launch your operation ahead. Whether you need advice on succession planning, a specialist to interpret your soil sample results, or you just want a weird question answered, AgVisor Pro has your answers. Simply download the app and ask the question anonymously to a network of experts or go beyond that and hire a consultant to solve a specific problem on your farm. AgVisor Pro saves you both time and money, allows you to move forward with confidence. Like what you hear? Go out to the App Store today and download AgVisor Pro. When we first started working with these guys, I wanted to see what this was about. I don't have a lot of ag-specific questions, but it was nice to step in there and see what was being asked anonymously and see them get the experts they need to get these answers. I know this is something that will power you forward, and we thank AgVisor Pro for their partnership. Okay, so Dave, this is going to be a topic that is uh, going to satisfy a lot of emails that we got. This yeah. is a, a much requested 
problem that people want answers to. So I'm excited to have two guests today. So you have both Dave and I here also hanging out with Manuel Fick. He is the president and CEO of U.S. Farm Labor, Inc. And we also have Alex Krakiolo. I had to say it like that. I know how to pronounce it, but I had to give you a hard time because it looks nothing like Krakiolo. it's spelled. But he's a technical writer for, uh, yeah. for these guys as well. So Manuel was born in South Africa, spent some time in the South African military, and he has a degree in industrial sociology and taught sociology and psychology and even statistics for a while, Dave. Interesting. In 1988, he immigrated to America with his wife, Kathy, and that is a little bit of a tip-off besides the title of the episode in the fact that we're going to look at solving some U.S. farm labor issues with an H-2A insight on the program there. Alex himself, born in South Florida, has a degree in English from Western Carolina University. He's working for U.S. farm labor since 2015. He's worked in several phases of the H-2A program, so he's going to be able to help us with the workflow throughout this. Currently, he's specializing in the regulatory compliance and assisting clients with their audits and developing innovative tech solutions for the challenges that we're going to talk about during today. But ultimately, David, we've got these two awesome men here to help us tackle the program that maybe our listeners aren't too sure of. They've all heard of H-2A labor. And maybe they don't know how it could apply, affect, or benefit their farm. So, gentlemen, thanks for coming, man. Well, why don't we start with you? How, how would you introduce yourself? You know how you, you hear something and your wife just says you stop listening? I heard South Africa. I didn't catch any of the rest. I'm thinking, yep, I, I went to South Africa once, and I never heard any of the rest of what you said. But so I'm like, all right, what are we talking about? We are talking about hiring outside the country help, That's H2A. Right. That's what That's we're talking right. about? All right. Yes. Man, Manuel, tell us more about yourself. Well, uh, I came in, uh, with my wife in 1998. We immigrated here. Initially, we came on an H-1B, and she was a physical therapist. And they offered the opportunity to come treat the baby boomers. And we thought, that's a great thing. We'll move around. So we came to America, and uh, um, I, I couldn't work in the beginning. Spent four years waiting for my uh, work, work authorization. And then when it was done, I worked a little bit for some people and then started this business in 2003. So we've been going for 20 years now. This coming year is our 20th year. We took over initially an existing business that a lady who started it in uh, by discovering she and her husband tried to find um, small ethanol plants in North Dakota and discovered that there was no labor there. And then they went back. She started a business. And when she couldn't stay in America any longer, we made a deal. I took over a client base and grew it from 30 people at that time to about 900 clients uh, 20 years later. So we uh, um, immediately, uh, when we started off, you know, it was a tough business to get into with a foreign accent and a foreigner and trying to tell farmers that you'll have some great people that can work for them. Um, but it slowly worked and we traveled, my wife and I, and took a camper and traveled to North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, 
and Iowa and all those places and met the few people that we started with and grew our business uh, by word of mouth uh, from that day on. And that's mostly how we have grown it. That's probably why people don't really know about us. But uh, we have a big presence in the country, in North Dakota especially. Um, there's over 300 farmers that utilize our South African guys. Wow. So, so yeah, a little quick snapshot there. <laughs> I love that. So maybe I missed it. What's the name of the business? It's called USA Farm Labor. And to be honest, initially we called ourselves Pluto. Um, if you maybe Google backwards in 2003, um, I, I registered that name standing for placing labor and unique trade opportunities since ah. we were going to supply labor in many fields and H2A and B. But uh, B never took off and we stayed out of it. Uh, we can do H to B people too, but that's for business where H to A is for agriculture. So, um, so yeah. So then at a later phase, I decided let's change it. People believe Pluto was a little too Mickey Mouse <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we changed it to a very more descriptive name. So yeah, that's uh, I like David. That. I like that. Alex, a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I started here in 2015 and initially I started off just doing uh, data entry stuff. Actually, uh, I, I was involved in several uh, phases of the, of the process of getting people's uh, getting their information put on the forms and then submitting that off to the government, handling any problems uh, and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, over time, my role has kind of uh, evolved to kind of a, uh, more of a more of a focus on marketing, things like uh, some technical stuff as well, and and just writing in general. So any kind of special project that involves uh, you know complicated writing, that's usually where I come in. Nice, I like this. So Alex, start off. What is H two A? What what is this program? Sure. Yeah, it's the uh, it, it's a temporary non-immigrant work visa program. Uh, specific countries that are eligible for it. Uh, workers can go to the consulate, get one of these visas, then they come to America and, uh, and they can do agricultural work for uh, usually a job is up to 10 months. Um, the visa itself can be extended after that with subsequent jobs for up to three years. Uh, but in general, a job itself is usually no longer than 10 months. So this is a way for us to temporarily maybe create a permanent fix to a labor shortage in agriculture. <laughs> Correct. Tanner, how many yeah. how, how many people are worried about um, the regulations? I mean, the guys that I think they're like, yeah, I need more labor, but I want to make sure they work hard, and I want to make sure that I'm not going to be sued at the end of this by the government or something because I didn't pay them right or I didn't write lodging or I mean, uh, that's what I would think that most of our guys that are listeners that's are saying. Why they don't do it? That's why they're not doing it. They're, yeah, they're, it's a, it's right. almost fear, right, Manuel? Do you, do you run into that? Or are people more afraid to get into it because they don't know? Yeah. I agree. I think uh, a lot of people that sign up with us don't even have knowledge of the program. And then those who do are concerned about the red tape, the bureaucracy, the involvement, the role the, the government plays, and all the prescribed rules and regulations. And unfortunately, there is tons of it in this program. Uh, Alex helps me full time just to make sure we stay in compliance ourselves. We say to the right things to employers. 
we help them to navigate through this and we teach them and train them what they have to do and say to comply. So yeah, you correct uh, definitely a lot of uh, fear from people, but we've put them at ease. We've developed a great way of uh, pr presenting it to them and hold their hand through everything, you know, so that they don't have to worry about it uh, as such. I mean, if you deliberately do not want to follow the prescribed rules, which we clearly would share with you, then it could be problematic. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so, Alex, how, how do we qualify? How does a listener qualify to use an H2A program? And that's a great question. It's, it's one of the questions we get all the time, actually. Uh, people come to us all the time and say, here's what I do. Does this qualify? And it's one of those things where it kind of has to work on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, generally, in order to qualify, something has to be uh, agricultural. And, and sort of the rule of thumb for that is, uh, is the work done either on a farm or in the employ of a farmer? Um, generally, if it's you know one or the other, uh, usually it's, it's fine in, in the agricultural uh, area there. Um, the harder area really is the, the seasonal issue because uh, the, the work has to be seasonal as well. Uh, and, and where that can trip people up is, uh, for instance, if you're doing uh, normal crop farming, uh, that's generally considered seasonal. You don't really run into an issue with that. Um, but where, where people get hurt by that is, is the dairy industry because uh, dairy needs labor just as much as anybody else, of course. Uh, but the Department of Labor sees that work is year-round since, you know, the, the cows have to be milked every day and fed every day. And right. Uh, it ends up being more of a year-round job rather than just a seasonal uh, seasonal gig. Yeah, so that, that does definitely create an issue. And you said it's up to 10 months but can be extended. What do you think? So, Alex, is there – I have questions now. So, um, I listeners, we have all different listeners from, from lots of acres to minimal acres. Am I big enough? Like, I, I only really need two guys, maybe two, maybe one – is is it a program that I got to have forty people come in, or is it uh, how's that work? Uh, no, I, most of our uh, customers actually only bring over about two workers. Um, most of the people that we bring huh. over are uh, semi-skilled guys who come over and drive combines and things like that. Uh, and so I, I, we ran the statistics not too too long ago, and the and the vast majority of our customers bring over somewhere between one and four workers. So do I, as the farmer, get to ask like I'm really looking for a guy that's mechanically inclined, or I'm looking for a guy that really knows agronomy, or I'm looking for just a guy to feed cows? Like, is there do do you get to specify like, or is it just yep, I have labor, you got to teach them? Yeah, how's that work, Manuel? So. We have developed tools so that the farmer can clearly and with a bit of a survey convey to us what is his need and what type of people he would need, what skill level they need to be, what education level they have to be, and what he would use them for. And we developed on the other side in a big database system we've built over five the last five years a way that our workers give that knowledge about their skills, knowledge, and, and so on. And we even test their attitudes and we um, do benchmarking for our clients and figure out what is it that your farm that a successful person would have to uh, have and, and the skills and knowledge he would show. And then we match them up. So we have agents that recruit them for us and offer them for the farmer. We don't give any farmer a specific person. We give him a variety to choose from and he can pick out of it. Normally, 
Uh, if he wants 10 people, we'll try and give him 15 to choose from. If he wants just four, he'll get about eight resumes to 10 and he can look through them. And we have on our database, even with a video where they can see the person, he can hear what he says and what he speaks and while, while he speaks English. And so, yeah, so it's absolutely the farmer's choice. But we try and build a, a, a system and did where they can easily select the workers that they want. And it varies from, as Alex said, semi-skilled to high-skilled. I mean, we get uh, red seal mechanics from South Africa that want to come and work here. We also, just to add to it, don't just bring from South Africa. 80% of our people are from South Africa, but we bring from Ukraine, Moldova, um, Romania, Bulgaria, Brazil, and North Macedonia, uh, also people. So quite a, that's a smaller component, but a, a, a wide variety. Tanner, my next thing is when I hear all the foreign countries where people could come from and help me work, great. What about the language barrier? Uh -huh. Is there a language barrier? Like, how do I get over that? Like, yeah, I want a worker, but is this going to work? Yeah. Are they required to speak English? So... We ask them and try and source them. In South Africa, since English is a second language, 98% can speak English and understand. And that's why this program is so successful out of South Africa. South Africa is the second largest country in the world that brings H2A workers. Um, the first country is Mexico. And you, then you would have thought some countries around Central America and down around Mexico would be the next. But South Africa brings the second most. So out of Mexico this year came 372,000 workers. Out of South Africa came 12,000 workers to come work, 11,900 to be precise. Sure. So in English, they are good, and that's not a really an issue at all. For the other nationalities, there are some challenges sometimes. We actually just uh, this week, discovered that we can provide our clients with a phone-like device that you can speak into. And even if you have three different nationalities, it will translate your instructions in perfect, whatever their language is, to them to understand and they can speak back. So we're, we're looking at implementing that just to cross that barrier. Um, because yes, you're right, like our North Macedonian people that we brought, English was their biggest challenge, but they have the skills and the knowledge uh, to do the work. So, Tanner, before we go into like the more of the process, like how to do it, I you got me hooked, and okay, I know what uh, H2A is. Now I know where your workers are coming from. I've asked my qualifying questions that I thought would be my like hard stops. What what's the advantage to me as a farmer? Question one. I'm going to ask it as a two part. Uh, so, Manuel, tell me, tell me what is the advantage to me as a farmer? And then, Alex, why do the other people want to come work? What's the advantage to them? So, I think the first challenge is in America, the labor crisis is really big. And farmers that call us, if you ask them, can you find labor, they go on for uh, quite a few minutes explaining the challenge to find labor. All these positions that are advertised or they are advertised to the local community first so that Americans who might be interested, might be looking for work, could have first dibs 
first opportunity to apply. And an employer is under serious regulations for considering them to make sure that they are uh, available. But if they're available and qualified, then an employer has to take that worker. And uh, only after that, the satisfied may consider to take foreign workers. So this whole H2A process obtains him a labor certification where he basically gets permission by the government to hire foreign workers because he tried his darnest best to get them in America. And, and I, I assume they come cost-effective, or, or I, I hate to use the word cheaper, yeah. uh, I think cheaper degrades the position, uh, just more cost-prohibitive. Cost we'll, we'll, effective. Get into, we'll get into this. Yeah. It, it's, so it's relatively I, the same, but we'll get in. I don't want to jump to that okay. yet. I want to get... I still want to finish my comment for you on the benefit. So just to put in perspective, if you look, uh, two, a year and a half ago, for the 370,000 positions, um, 334 Americans applied for them. So there's no labor available by the statistical numbers to, that want to apply. And that's why this is the best alternative for people. I mean, it would be great if we can find these Americans to work on the farms, but they just don't seem to exist uh, and be there. So the benefit is now you have a source there's a lot of workers. We have thousands from South Africa and thousands more and many other countries. You get really good skilled people and the English speaking ability. And therefore, as you look at our own clients, any of them that take workers, they always grow their business. They can because now you can commit to contracts. You can say, I can take more fields on to harvest or to plant or right, to do a service. So all of them grow. I mean, we usually start with one guy, they try or two, and many of them go up. So Alex is correct. Our average client has four people, but they all started with one. Now they are four, but we have clients with 15, 20, 30, 100, 200 um, that just is, uh, scaled up. And so that's really the benefit. And, you, and the other thing I always tell people, you're getting reliable labor. This guy shows up, he wants to work, he has nothing else to do, he sacrificed to leave his family and his foreign country, so they chase hours and beg for hours and more hours to work. <laughs> so an average South African worker or foreign worker works 10 to 12 hours a day easily. And and with a, and usually relatively with a smile, <laughs> except if it's maybe too hard. So yeah, David. All right. So Alex, part two. What? Why is it an advantage to them to come here and work? Uh, I mean, it really at the end of the day, they they get uh, they get paid the adverse effect wage rate, which is in most cases substantially higher than what they'd be getting back home. And, and then of course after that, you take into account the exchange rate, and and they end up making really good money. Um, <laughs> The adverse effect wage rate, of course, uh, differs by by region, um, but it's I think in the at the low end, I, I believe it's uh, it's around eleven, it's somewhere between eleven and twelve dollars on the low end. Um, over in California, I think they're they're up to what is it now, uh, seventeen dollars or something like that. It's um, so these workers end up making quite a bit more than they would make back home, especially with the exchange rate. Okay, so that's good. We've got we got the reason why it benefits us. 
there's obviously incentive for them to come and help and apply for this program to be available. And then I, I can't get over the statistic. He was basically one hundredth of a percent. If there was very few Americans applying for these jobs that were filled by three hundred and thirty some thousand H two A workers, so that's really good. So now, Alex. We're not going to be able to get into it really in depth. Let's hit the process. Let's just go high level because obviously it's going to be different and you're going to consult each one of our listeners. But let, walk me through what what does the process look like kind of high level? Sure. Uh, so at the start, we kind of uh, we'll have a conversation with each individual customer, kind of get a feel for what their needs are um, and, and the details surrounding their business. Uh, we then take that information and we have them fill out a, a, a form as well to, to help us get that information. Uh, and we take that information and we uh, fill it in on, on some government forms, submit that off to various levels of the government. Um, first, the state level, then federal level to, to get authorization to hire these workers. Uh, then once they receive that authorization, uh, we submit a petition for a visa at the USCIS which uh, which then causes the, the visa to be sent to uh, the consulate in that country. Uh, the worker can then go and get that visa and fly over here. Uh, so that, that's the really, really uh, high high level uh, overview of, of how, how that works. And in the middle of that, like Manuel said, you have to advertise this role in your local community because if you get a qualified candidate, you're supposed to take the qualified candidate. Absolutely. And, and, and it's one of those things where uh, it is it is one of the main requirements for the program, uh, but it's also something that so it, it's it's because of this this need for labor. Uh, I mean, everybody I talk to, they all say the same thing. Listen, I, I you know I, I'm doing the best I can to find anybody to hire, but I just can't find anybody. Uh, I also in in my time here, I've been helping clients with uh, with audits as well, and, and I'm sure you guys want to get into that a little bit later, but. Um, but one thing that I hear every time when I ask them, like, so did any Americans apply for this job? Every single time they come back to me and say, no, no, nobody applied. I, I had no, nobody showed any interest in this job at all. Okay. So Manuel, our yeah. listeners kind of know that you will help walk them through the process, but, but what's the time frame? How far in advance do we need to start this before we need the help? Okay. So if we take a general farmer in North Dakota, they normally start somewhere in March, April to plant their crops and so on. So if they start date to say March 1, they can start 75 days before that. And we would like them to even contact us earlier. So anybody that at the moment would listen to this podcast can still get in. There is an opportunity to do an emergency filing, which is a shorter period of 45 days. But generally, from the day we start till a worker lands in America is 90 days at minimum. So if uh, people on this podcast listens to it and things, okay, it's today, January 6th, they could consider February, March, Jan April 6th, somewhere around there to see a person. So that's a quick answer. Uh, hopefully that uh, gives some guidance. Yeah, we can't do it. Next. We can't expect somebody here two weeks from now. You know, that's the no, the point. No. Is this is something you got to plan ahead with, no. Dave? As far as that goes, how, how many acronyms do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I, I bet there's a lot of acronyms ag, in this. Ag itself. Uh, that uh, yeah. in agriculture itself, you combine ag and government, and I'm sure it's all acronyms. So one yeah. thing, one thing I've heard on on H two A employees 
do you have to have housing for them? The couple guys I know like have housing for them, and uh, that might be a limiting factor. They have to have somewhere to live. Like I'm sure there's certain requirements. Yeah, no, for sure there is. There's definitely uh, there's a few things that they must supply, like free housing for the worker with beds in it, a kitchen, cutlery, crockery, water, electricity for free. They have to supply the guy with uh, um, transportation once a week to get to a, a shop and buy his food. There's some three arrangements surrounding food, but most farmers that care for this uh, put them in an old house on their farm after they moved out of their own one and build themselves a nice, beautiful one. And as long as the house is in great shape with all its doors and screens and things, and it's a place you would like to live in or still live in, then it would be acceptable. It gets inspected uh, as such. So, yeah, so that there's some requirements around there. There's some other costs um, involved that you guys were referring to a little bit, you know, and I don't ever want to go there yet. Is it more expensive? So, yes, to do this is for sure more expensive for a, farmer than taking local labor. On broadly, we've worked out that it would cost you approximately $433 a month more for per worker if you take him on an H2A program. And that covers indirect and direct costs. So if you ask yourself not having labor versus, okay, I got some labor and it's only $433 broadly per month more, is it worth it? You know, so that's it's, it doesn't sound like a, a too big a price to pay. Um, and, and each one will have to make their own calculations on that. I like the way he went because, you know, I, I had prepared the outline. So I knew the answer to when you were starting to bring that up. And I interrupted you is it's not a cheaper option. We're not doing this yeah. to save money for the farm. We're doing this to get qualified help. Well, it made me wonder even like workman's comp, are they W-2 employees? Uh, are they 1099 employees? Do we do we pay uh, taxes, retirement on their behalf? Like, is it is it cheaper holistically? Um, it doesn't sound like it is. It sounds like we have to have a house, we get them over here, or there's extra paperwork, there's some fees, uh, but I have guaranteed labor. That, that is here and wants to work for it. And qualified. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. I mean, you ask about uh, the W-2, and yes, they will be W-2. Two, you don't have to pay your portion of any taxes on them. That's one privilege of the H-2A program. Um, so your employer portion is not on the table. Their worker has to pay taxes, and it starts at least 15%, and he has to file it himself. He needs to get a social security number. It's critical. If he doesn't, then you're on the hook for his taxes. So that's a small little of those many compliance issues. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely can help. And as you say, it's there for the reliable labor that you're basically getting uh, every day showing up and you can do your stuff and get your crops in and get it off. So Alex, this is a legal process. This isn't the headline news that we're getting about uh, border crossings and, and, and political mess, but yet it's still a political battle around the continuance of this program. But this is legal, correct? Yes or no? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. 
Um, it, it definitely does have its own challenges to it, but yes, all of this is it's legal. Okay, and and I you know I was reading through this, Dave. It's interesting because you got to get them a driver's license if you want them to drive something here. You have to work with them to get their driver's license. Same thing, Dave. If you want them to drive a truck, just because they could drive a semi in South Africa or South America, you still have to work with them here to get their CDL, their commercial driver's license. Mm-hmm. And so, go ahead, Manuel. Yeah. So then I want to add on to it something we do for our clients because in the farming community, they can drive a netter worker with farm tags do a hundred and fifty mile radius without getting a CDL, but we encourage all our clients to please let them get a driver's license to drive your vehicles and to know the road rules and everything. Secondly, we in South Africa, and we're the only organization, got ourselves a Peterbilt left-hand steering wheel, 18-speed fuller gearbox truck, and we have a testing ground and training so we can train our guys on this left-hand oh. drive truck so that before they come, they already can pass this, the ELDT requirement when they arrive and then can do their CDL if an employer would like them to do it. So that's a special, unique uh, feature and, and value we give. Um, we have a client in Iowa, for instance, the, your state where they need crop sprayers for that type of spraying and truck drivers. So we're training them. Te- well, we're testing them. We're not training them. If they need a bit of um, training in terms of the left-hand steering, then they're going to go to that trucking facility and do that. But we're also putting forth testing and verification of their skills in terms of chemical mixing, and uh, a spraying application. I didn't even think about right-hand steering versus left-hand. You know, of course, that would be a little bit of a, a shock, something yeah. that would take a little bit of time to get used to. So we, we kind of hit on it that when I dug into the meal requirements side, you know, you got to be able to provide them a place to cook their meals and give them transportation to go get groceries. But there are some farm operations that provide three meals a day, and that's also acceptable. If you do have um, a cook or, you know, when you went to the ranch, mm-hmm. there was someone that provided breakfast, lunch, and uh, it was Jay Lazy mm-hmm. S Ranch. That's an option, right, Alex? Uh, that's absolutely an option, yes. Uh, there are some rules around it. Uh, the meals have to be, for instance, prepared and, and delivered in a sanitary, time, timely way. Um, they also have to be calorically sufficient, although the government hasn't given us any specific guidelines on what that means yet. Um, that's actually specific wording that came out in this last uh, round of new rules here, um, and we're we're still waiting for some some clarification on it. But uh, but yes, there there it is an option, but there are some rules surrounding it that uh, that have to be taken into account. We can uh, definitely you know provide some guidance on that as well. I can't imagine anybody would want to take on trying to do this themselves, uh, <laughs> and I didn't know until today that there's uh, an organization like yourself that's out there, USA Farm Labor, is. Is, is there other people that do the same thing? I mean, is there multiple organizations? Not that you want to give me who your competitors are, but are, is there is there like 25 different companies that do this? I, I wouldn't know there was one. So there are approximately five or six big ones. We're the largest from South Africa. Okay. Just other competitor has more clients, but not so many South Africans. There's a lot of smaller people, and there's even farmers who 
do this themselves. They get a lawyer and do their paperwork or try, and then they recruit themselves over the social media and so on. Now, we personally don't think it's a good idea because of the scrutinizing of the workers, making sure they really have the qualifications. They are pretty desperate to come work in America. The whole world will come work here. If you see the border, you can see five million comes very quickly if it's uh, anywhere possible. So um, uh, the um, these South Africans guys, they would love to be here. And, and like Alex said, the exchange rate makes it unbelievably lucrative for them. The countries where we recruit the most is where the exchange rate, like South Africa, is something like 1 to 18. And uh, in Europe, some places too, where the exchange rate becomes equal, there's less motivation to come and right. leave your family and come work here for 10 months. Um, I went off on a rabbit trail. You guys will have to pull this straight. <laughs> I, I, I got a question for you. You said that, you know, if you if you can see the border, you want to come to USA. Uh, awesome. If people do come, so I assume, I haven't asked this question, but I assume we don't get to pick the individual labor. However, if they came to my farm last year, they know my equipment, they know me, we worked well together, uh, arguably I'm going to vie for the same guy next year. Yeah. And let's say that you allow me to do that five years in a row and we build such a great relationship that, man, I want to hire this guy full time. I want yeah. you to move from South Africa, Manuel, and I want you to come uh, join our family farm, and yeah. I will give you a house, and I will let you. Can they ever get yeah. permanent residency, or what? Do you guys work that yeah. as well? Can I? Can 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 they become American? Yeah, so they can absolutely, and our goal is that workers would return the year after year to the same employer. We succeed about 47% at the moment where people return year after year. We have people that come three, four, five years, marry the farmer's daughter, or <laughs> could get sponsored. Yeah. If you do a sponsorship, there's an EB3 program that exists. Um, we have a lawyer that we work with, actually two of them, and we refer you to them, speak to them. It's a two-and-a-half-year process, cost about $12,000. Oh, and the guy has a green card and he can work for you permanently. Um, the only challenge a little bit about doing that is if it's not somebody that has a, such a great relationship with you or you of him, he might get his green card and then he might find greener fields. Sure. You know, because suddenly the whole market is his oyster and he can go anywhere. So great. Thank you that you helped me. I'm very thankful, but he might move on. So those are some payoffs, um, but they are. We have about, on average, about thirty workers every year that are going through that process <laughs> with the employers. So you, you bring up two good questions that I have. So, can my help work for the neighbors? Like you oh. said, they may go after greener pastures, but Alex, if I have three workers and we my may, farm's yeah. slow, yeah, we got slow. Can they go work for the neighbors for four or five days, or, or how's that work? So that's actually another question that we get all the time, uh, and unfortunately, they can't. Uh, they're they're only allowed to work at the work sites that are on their their paperwork, uh, the and, and that you're certified to to employ them at. Um, that all comes up during the application process. 
uh, we list all the work sites where they're going to be working at. But but if you're a fixed site farmer rather than a farm labor contractor, they really can only work for you. And then that leads me into uh, a bullet point that I had saw seen. The three-quarter rule, Alex, what is the three-quarter rule? So the three-quarter rule is, is, a, is a tricky tricky thing that a lot of people have uh, misconceptions about. Uh, the idea behind it is when you fill out your application to get certified to hire these workers, you estimate uh, kind of how many hours they're going to be working per week. And, of course, you give the range of when they, when they plan on starting and when they plan on ending. Uh, and so... Because of that, you're sort of on the hook to at least offer them at least three quarters of the total hours for that entire period. Hmm. Um, if, if the worker, for instance, uh, gets up in one morning, isn't feeling well and wants to not work, but the work is available, those hours are still offered even if he doesn't work them. Uh, alternatively, uh, if, if the, uh, for instance, let's say it rains out one day and it's just everything's too wet to work. In that case, since the work's not available, you have to sort of make a note of, you know, not as many hours were available this particular day. And so you're kind of tracking your progress towards this, this, uh, this limit of, of offering at least three quarters of the hours for the season. Uh, it does alter slightly if they either show up late, of course, then, then the, uh, the hours get, get trimmed a little bit to account for that. Alternatively, uh, if some horrible catastrophe happens, a huge flood or whatever, in that case, you can contact the Department of Labor and, and tell them, hey, listen, our crops got washed away. Uh, we have no more work left. And in that case, what they usually do is they will trim the, the, the back end off where it's, they say, okay, now you only have to offer three quarters from when they started until when the catastrophe happened. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the, the gist of the three quarter uh, guarantee. Does that, uh, oh, oh, also I should mention, uh, if you fail to meet that three quarter guarantee, uh, then you have to pay those workers as, as if you had offered them at least three quarters of the hours. Manuel, you're going to say something. Yeah, I want to add just in the 20 years we've done this, we've nearly, I don't recall any time when there wasn't enough hours for the workers to work to make up. So right. it's Me not either. really an issue. It sounds like a sort of a guarantee and that you could be on the hook for it. But 99% of the farmers have so much work to do that they fill that and over and above right. so uh right. luckily not really something to stress about well this yeah, is this, this comes up on my side every now and then when i do uh when i help people with audits uh, because one of the things that they're required to show on their paperwork is how many hours they were offering per day uh and a lot of people are are they're not 100 percent sure how to answer that because they um a lot of times people will use something like quickbooks when they're doing their, their payroll stuff and, and of course quickbooks doesn't track the number of hours offered uh, so we have uh, sort of a flow chart that we hand out that kind of gives people some guidance on uh, what to consider hours offered, what not to consider, uh, and, and things like that to kind of help smooth that out and, and make that a little a little clearer. Hmm. So what are some best practices that, uh, out of all your clients, the most successful ones are, the most successful farms are using? Um, Alex, did you want to? Throw some or shall I go? <laughs> if you want to go first and then I can, I can, you know, grab you after you. I think, you know, what we have found relationships fall apart. And that's the questions of a listener would have is, does it fall apart? And what do I do when it does? What happens then? So we have a 90% success rate in our placements and a 10% failure rate on average for the last 10 years. We're trying to get it down. We've implemented some things 
But what we mostly find is that relationships fall apart when there's a, a lack of respect between the two parties. Somewhere when employers maybe think the workers are slaves, they stupid, they from a foreign country, and they maybe um, uh, show some of those beliefs verbally or nonverbal cues. Mm -hmm. Right. And the workers pick up on it. And that's where relationships usually fall apart. So we see the best success where people treat them the way they would like to be treated. Um, talking nice, not swearing at them, not talking down at them um, and so on. You know, some of the people that come from South Africa are sometimes graduates. Some of them have had their own businesses, but South African economy has made them to struggle and uh, some of the political culture and political climate makes it difficult to have a business or a farm. Um, you know, so they come over here and they also then want respect and vice versa. And that's why we, in our verification process, try and make sure that the people that we bring, we look at the attitude that they bring when they come. Are they entitled? Are they somebody who wants to come serve the farmer? Uh, we sometimes have issues where a worker would want to tell a farmer how to farm. And then we, you know, that's not going to work. Easier to do the work and to serve our farmers and do it as best as they can. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and to sort of go off of that, I think one one common misconception people have is uh, when they're looking at workers, of course, one obvious thing people think is, well, I need to find a guy who, you know, really, really knows how to drive a combine. Now, what people a lot of times don't think to to ask or or kind of feel the guy out for is like, how is this guy doing in terms of soft skills? Like, how does he do with communication? How does he do? Is he teachable? Is he emotionally resilient? Uh, is he a team player? And, and, and so I think another best practice I'd recommend is looking at the soft skills of workers during the interview process to kind of see, like, is this guy a, a good fit for, 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 for how I run my business? Mm -hmm. And we include reports for that, uh, David, in uh, Tanner, in our stuff, so farmers can see the results of it and use it as a starting point for conversations. So, yeah, sorry I interrupted you. <laughs> no, but I like that because we, we had an episode, oh, almost a year ago with ag hires about making job descriptions and the fact that, you know, we all learned to operate machinery. Somebody else can learn to operate machinery. There's a lot deeper characteristics to hiring a good person that is, is going to really mesh well with your team that's beyond the experience in an operator seat. That's a bonus. That's great if they have that skill. Uh, but as far as that goes. Okay, guys, we touched on a lot and we only scratched the surface. So Alex, tell our listeners how they can get started by finding you guys. And then we will ask the payoff question for the end of the show. Sure. Yeah. So our website is a, is a great place to start. We have tons of information on there, including a uh, PDF that you can download for free that sort of uh, runs through kind of some of the stuff we talked about here today, but uh, some other things as well, like audits. Um, that's really the first thing I would recommend doing is, is just going to the website. There's a little thing you can fill out, put in your name and email address, and it'll, uh, it'll send that right to your, your, your email. Um, and of course, after that, if you want to, you know, give us a call, one of our people will be happy to, uh, talk to you and, uh, answer any questions and kind of see if this would be a good fit for you. And, 
uh, yeah, that's 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 really what I recommend. It's, it's, we have a, a really um, because of how how everything's dependent on the uh, situation involved with the with the company and, and with the job specific uh, specifically. Um, it kind of takes a conversation to see if it would be a good fit. So we always recommend people kind of read through that little booklet and then give us a call to, to discuss it further. And remind us what that website is. Sure. USAFarmLabor.com. All right. Perfect. That's the one I had pulled up. Wanted to make sure it was <laughs> the right one. So, so slower. You, this is the auctioneer saying this, USAFarmLabor.com. Yes. Okay, gentlemen, we ask every one of our guests the same question. And it is, what does success look like to you? So think about that. You'll each get a chance to answer that. I'm going to try and summarize what we chatted about today. So we were here talking with Manuel and Alex from U.S. Farm Labor. We were talking about the H-2A program. We learned that H-2A is a temporary agriculture program that allows employers who anticipate a shortage of help to bring non-immigrant foreign workers to the United States. This is agricultural specific program. We have the ability to qualify for this if you are ag by nature and the work is seasonal. This is up to 10, min- 10 months in length. Mm-hmm. It takes mm-hmm. us roughly two to three months, you know, 60 to 75 days uh, to get this put together. An emergency, we can shut it, shorten it down. Yeah. Some just, limitations. Just a little bit. Uh, we do, as the farmer and farm owner, get the ability to go through a pool of resumes. Mm-hmm. So it's not just you're assigned this worker. You can look for skills. There are companies out there like these guys that will help with the paperwork process. Ultimately, you have to advertise this job locally first. You know that as you get this put together, you want to put your projections together for the work that you need as close to the responsibility because there is a three quarters rule I said, uh, you know, hasn't been an issue for this team with us farm labor in the past, but it does exist. So you don't want to overbook the people that you're working with. You have an obligation as the employer to make sure you cover their expenses to get here. You have a consulate fee. You got to get their plane tickets here round trip. You got to be able to give them transportation to and from the grocery store, living conditions, uh, work with them to get their driver's licenses. Uh, if you are going to be over the road trucking, the option is to you know get them their American CDL as well. But but you have those responsibilities here. We learned, Dave, this isn't the cheaper option. Mm-hmm. It's an option to get skilled labor. Now it's not that much more expensive, as Manuel shared with us. You know, it's going to be evaluated at your own farm level as to how that value is translated. We want to remember some of the best practices they talked about and things to avoid is they're human. You have to treat them like you want them to be there to work, that you value them like any type of labor. You can't treat them poorly like you would any other type of labor. They're not going to stick around. It's not going to be a good working relationship. So they value their time being here. It's an incentive for them to work and take home wealth back to their families. Uh, so to treat them well is how our successful clients that have worked with U.S. Farm Labor have had that success in the past. But ultimately, we tried to present a legal option today, at least high-level information, 
as to how we might be able to solve that question as to I can't find good help. And I found it very interesting in the conversation that uh, uh, with Manuel's group uh, that uh, I immediately thought Mexico, Tanner, immediately, not South Africa. And, South America. Uh, um, and he's South Africa, oh. correct? Yeah, South Africa. And so yeah. in South Africa with Manuel, with English being the language, that was one of my biggest uh, um, hiccups on the deal. But uh, so, yeah, to our listeners it sounds like a great program now guys we gave you a little stall time there hopefully you didn't listen to us hopefully you thought about your question i saw manuel looking down he was writing notes so i'm gonna let him go first what does success look like to you after being 20 years in this business and a lot of experience what does that look like to you it could be anything yeah well i think i sort of wrote four things down here it's to address and alleviate the labor problems for our clients. That's the first step for me that spells success. The next one is to provide the best matched workers for our employers that needs them. And then the third one is to have them return year after year to serve and help their farmers. And then a fourth one, which is sort of reach on an Alex level, is to help them stay within the lines and be compliant and understand what the compliance issues are of the H2A program. If those four things are happening, I think we're successful. I, I like that for success for your business and success for H, H2S, or, or H2A rather, but I, I want you to dig deeper. What is What does success look like to you? Is it good family, good friends, happy marriage, good wife, uh, kids, uh, go, go, go deeper. Think some more. Uh, not, not necessarily specific to the farm program. Yeah, I, yeah, I want to yeah. know just life in general. I want the yeah. best wisdom I can get while you're thinking of that, Alex, what is success? So I, I think it's two parts. I think it's one doing something that you love and two, something that uh, enables you to live the kind of lifestyle that you want to live. Ooh, I like that. like it. Yeah. Okay. On my side, before we came to America, we had prophetic words why we should come. And one of them was that we will build a bridge between South Africa and the U.S. So our motivation came from a spiritual standpoint where we wanted to come to America to obey God's call. And people confirmed that we will be successful in what we do and build this bridge. So for me, success is as many bridges as I can build, as wide as the bridge can be, and to affect people's lives in the process. Um, my wife and mine personal um, uh, statement is that we're here to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. So from a spiritual perspective, that is the foundation of our business and how we look at it. And that's why I use the word that my work has come to serve they farmers. Mm -hmm. That's what they do, if I may ask them to, um, and not work just as a worker, but as a servant. So yeah, there you are. That. That's deep enough. That, that was very, that was perfect. That's <laughs> what, I was just cracking the shell a little bit. So to most of your guys, uh, I I flew in on a missions trip to uh, South Africa, and we flew into Johannesburg. Are you farther south than that? No, no. So South Africa. I personally grew up. 50 kilometers north in Pretoria. Okay. Myself and the workers are all over the country. There's okay. no specific region. Um, maybe the most, uh, the English side of South Africa is the KwaZulu Natal, 
and more English people live there and farm. So we have a little less English. I would say 80% of all the workers who come are Afrikaans speaking. And then we also have uh, we're starting and really trying our best to bring uh, um, people of color to come and uh, black people and colored and Indian. And we had about 10 uh, colored people that came this year and worked and also from South Africa and they from the Cape. And we're growing that as such to help accommodate them to and build them up um, and provide opportunity for them. Love it. I love this. This has been a great episode. But Dave, listeners don't get off easy either. What's your challenge for them today? I think outside the box. You know, I I didn't. Uh, I I thought it was too complicated. I, I I thought it was too complicated that it wouldn't be worth my time to do it. But I think the biggest thing that I didn't think of that Manuel said is if you're making the commitment to leave your family for ten months, you're here to work. Mm-hmm. You are motivated. I don't know that I can find somebody locally that, that, that is that motivated, that they're willing to leave their family for 10 months to make money to support. That, that's all attitude. I actually think the attitude of the workers that Manuel might bring is better than I can find locally. Yeah. So I'm going to challenge you to open your eyes and look a little broader. I like Build that. a bridge. Build a bridge, as Manuel would say. <laughs> Guys, this has been a pleasure. I appreciate you helping to educate our listeners and at least giving you a crack in the door open just a little bit for them to consider it. Uh, I hope they go check out usfarmlabor.com and reach out to you guys with more questions because every farm is going to be unique. You know, Alex, you mentioned that it's a case-by-case basis. You've got the right questions to ask and get them put together. But uh, thank you. Thank you so much. One other challenge for you listeners is they said, Alex said he's got a free uh, PDF on their website. If you are at all thinking about this, go there. Just check out the PDF. Yep, I like that. (laughs) Listeners, thanks again for hanging out with us. And until next time. Have a good one. Remember, if you aren't farming for profit, you won't be farming for long.